What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 39.5 of Behind the Daw. I am holding my son right now, so if you hear a little baby, sounds like this, that's him. All right, what is Behind the Daw? Behind the Daw is a podcast where we usually interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, people of that nature, on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. But as you notice, this is a .5 episode. That means that we take the audio from our YouTube series in the DAW, we put it in a podcast form, and we give it to you for free so you can listen to it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge. Uh, if you do want to watch in the DAW, don't worry, there is a link in the description of this podcast. You can click on it. It'll show you all the episodes that we've ever had within the DAW. All right, a couple things really quick before we get started. There are several links down in the description that I want to tell you about. The first is the Patreon. If you can find it in your heart to support behind the DAW and in the DAW for $1 a month so that we can keep bringing you these interviews interviews forever for free that mean the world plus now we are opening up all of the interviews to our patrons so that you can see the live stream of the interview while it's happening you can ask questions and each week i pick a lucky winner to meet the person that we're interviewing so please go ahead and check that out the second link in the description is for artist suggestions if you want to suggest someone to come on the show so that we can interview them go ahead click that link in the description the third link in the description is for private lessons if you want private lessons in electronic music production or social media marketing go ahead click that link. The fourth link in the description is for a free consultation. Each week we give away a free 20 minute social media marketing consultation. So if you want to check that out, go ahead, check it out. And then finally, in this particular episode, we are giving away a preset, a super saw preset that the guest is going to talk about. Don't worry, this is what it sounds like. So if you want that preset for free, it is a serum preset, go ahead, click the link in the description. All right, so who do we have on today? Today we have Elliot Berger. He's breaking down his song that he did with Laura Bram. It's called Believe. It's a fantastic song, very emotional song. And just so that we have a little bit of background information on Elliot, he's a UK bass producer. He's had releases on places like Monster Cat, NCS, Mr. Suicide Sheep, Airwave Music TV, ton more. The dude's everywhere. Go ahead and just check him on YouTube. What are we gonna be talking about today? We're gonna be talking about vocal processing, mixing drums, multiband processing, how to use Neutron by Isotope, and so much more. Make sure to stay tuned for all those topics and so much more. If you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Play, Deezer, you know, wherever it is. It just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to move in. And then finally, make sure to check out the other episodes of Behind the Daw. Like I mentioned, we have the episodes where we interview people on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic basis, but we also have episodes on the podcast where I do social media consultations with the guests that we bring on, and we give those away for free. The last one that we just did was with Wubix. We went through and we looked at his YouTube, and we talked about how he could optimize it to get more out of it so that he could push his music harder. So with all that said and all that out of the way, Daw Nation, I want to introduce you to Elliot Burgess. I see it's quite common that you do multi-band compression first in your processing chain, and it's quite nice not to see it just being the same OTT that everyone seems to throw on everything. So, yeah, what's the multi-band compression doing? I put it on things generally to bring out brightness. So I'll stick it on uh, buses usually. Uh, so this is the synth bus here, so like that. So this is everything that's kind of being side-chained. And it just helps to bring out the kind of noise and the shine. Uh, and fill out the full range. I actually use the the multiband compression preset 
and it pretty much as is. Occasionally, um, I'll stick a utility in front of it just to not drop down the input gain going into it rather than adjusting the input on each band just because it's quicker. It fills out the range, brings out brightness, and it also helps to gel stuff together when you've got however many tracks are in this. Uh, all kind of layered up to give that one full sound. You need something to sort of gel them together. And I find that this does it much better than single band compression does. Question about Laura's vocal processing. Did you do it yourself or did she do it? So I do it myself. So she does all of the tuning, comping, all the rest of that. The vocal stems I get anyway are pretty solid. Trying to hear music from silence. So it's really good takes. And the pitching is always perfect. The recording is really good. And then the processing that I do is really simple. It's the same with every. I always process everything as simply as I can. I'm not a fan of going in and being like really hardcore with everything. I usually do a high pass first to get rid of any rumble. As I said, these takes are usually fine anyway, but it's more force of habit than anything else. If you're getting a take from someone who maybe isn't recording in a good space, there'll be all sorts of rubbish in the low end. So I tend to get rid of that and then do some compression. The reason I'm getting rid of the rumble before the compressor is otherwise that rumble is going to start messing with um, your levels going into the compressor. So it'll start. Kind and of... you're doing you're doing really gentle compression, right? I mean, it's only like 2 dB. I mean, how much how much gain reduction are you getting? Very, very little. That's only a few dB. Um, it depends on the track. So I've got another tune with Laura that we're working on at the moment and the compression on that's much harder. But I think because particularly at this point of the tune in the verses, hopefully it will play fine. It's all quite spacey and quite ambient, so having a really compressed in-your-face vocal at that point is going to sound a bit out of place. So I kind of give it room to breathe. And then Pro-MB, I duck down the uh, low mids and kind of doing some DSing on here. Find if you multiband out that kind of... It's acting more as a dynamic EQ, actually, really. But when you're working with those low mid frequencies, Sometimes they can pop out. I've had vocalists where it's really resonant. Usually if they're using like a cheaper mic or something, then it really pops out. But it helps to kind of even it out and soften the vocal. And then as I said, that's sort of acting as a de Just to comment on on what you were saying about the, the multiband, a few weeks ago I had Crywolf come and stay with me and we were recording a Spotify ad. Here's a picture. He was he was saying the exact same thing with the Pro MB. He always does that to his vocals and he always does exactly what you did with the with like the magenta looking one in the in the low mid. I find that frequency is a real problem frequency with vocals because it's what's going to be clashing with everything else. And it's doing very, very little. I mean it's like two to three dB, but it makes such a difference and really softens out. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that I stumbled upon and then was just like, I do this all the time now without fail. I'm sorry, so keep going. So the next one is the DSer. Tiny bit of DSing. You can see it's doing quite a lot. I think because of the way the lyrics are, there's quite a lot of sibilance. So it helps to just sort of control that. Otherwise, it really, it can sound pretty horrendous. So it just tames out that sort of top end. Then Pro R, with again, notching out, I mean, this is an old track. I don't know if I would necessarily do that now, but it's some really like harsh getting rid of any of the low frequency. I'm sure there was a reason that I did that when I did it. And then Pro Q2 again. Trying to hear music from silence. Just to, to duck that frequency out. Uh, I might have sort of overreacted with the way that I processed it. But it's all sort of about controlling it. And it's the same with anything. If you've not got a good recorded take to start with, it makes your life so much harder. If you've got a good vocalist and a good take and it's all recorded properly, you don't have to do very much at all to it to get it to 
kind of stand out and, and sit well over everything. Do you tend to mix your vocals first and then get everything working around them or do you work on the synths and stuff first and then try and fit the vocals around that? Bits of both. For this track, the instrumental was done. We kind of wrote it together, but the while she was traveling over to mine, I had a bit of time, so I started it. I kind of had the ideas, and as she was writing vocal, I was writing the synth work. But most, I tried to do most of the instrumental before I put the vocal in, so you can keep the in- focus on keeping the instrumental interesting and evolving and changing all the time, rather than putting a good vocal over it and being like, oh, this is fine, this is great. Um, and letting a vocal carry it. Because actually, there's something, I think, quite special about having a tune, and every time you hear it, there's like an intricacy that you maybe didn't notice before, or there's something that keeps it moving, rather than having a really killer vocal sitting over an instrumental that actually isn't really doing very much. And it's a really easy trap to fall into, as I said, like I fall into that trap. Even, yeah, even if I've got the vocal first, I'll try and do as much of the instrumental as possible around, and then make the vocal fit to that. But also consciously, you have to be aware that as you're making it, there's going to be a vocal there. So like not putting loads and loads of stuff in the mids because then you're going to have a load of problems later on. Yeah. So instrumental first is the short answer to that. Let's get into your super soft sound design, man. So right now I'm, I'm doing private lessons. I'm, I'm giving this guy private lessons. And he asked me, you know, when it comes to super sauce, really finding like, I, we don't know how to, he, he asked me this question. I don't know how to answer it, but it's like with the super saw, you know, like the super saws that you have here and people like seven lions and trivecta and Olenium, all that kind of stuff. There's there, your, your guys' super saws, like there's something about like the mid and the low mids that are so powerful that just like punch you in the nose. And it's almost like a tonal noise but noise can't be tonal because noise isn't tonal. So with that in mind, how do you do that? Like, what, what would you suggest in that kind of situation? So a lot of it's layering. So if I was writing this first, the chords are really, really important. We could, I could take all of these sounds and have a different chord progression that wasn't written very well. And it wouldn't have that same impact. And I've done that before. I've had tunes where I've put, I've been struggling with the super saw and I've gone to an old tune that's worked and taken the preset, like drag and drop the preset with all the processing and everything. And it doesn't work. So the Super Saw itself, the main lead one, this one here, um, is taken and edited from a remix of that I did of Virtual Riot, which had kind of similar range in terms of chord voicing. So it did work in this instance. But two saws, a tiny bit of noise. This filter here, but it's only got the noise running through it. Uh, otherwise, you get low end. I don't always add noise um, as a note, but I did in this instance. And then loads of voices, detuning, all of this ends up being quite straightforward. And then I have an LFO just doing the, um, I imagine, just, yeah, just doing the volume, which gives it that kind of stuttering sound. Um, and then multi-band compression to bring out the tops in this instance, and then taking the low out. The bit that you're, I think, on about is layering this kind of stuff with it which sits in the low mids and is like a really noisy sound by default. So if I unfreeze it, yeah. Uh, and this is a sound I made ages and ages ago and I've kind of tweaked over time. So if you add it with the saws, what it does is it fills out that low mid range, but also some of that noisy top end harmonics creeps into the super saw as well. And so the two of them work quite well together. Yeah, just a bunch of sort of various processing on it. So I've taken off loads of the top end, but with a softer slope. So some of it's still creeping in, but because we've got so much from all of this, it's not like overbearing. It's really easy when you're stacking these kind of sounds and like stacking all the super source and stuff to end up with way too much top end. You have to sort of control that slightly. 
uh, sort of what that's doing. Uh, and then layering up with this, which is exactly a preset. It's copied everything from there, um, but I've bumped it up an octave. I don't know if that shows particularly well, but there's a pitch um, shifter on it. It's nudged it up an octave, and then I've just high passed it. So that layers really well done. And it's quite quiet in the mix, like if that's a zero. Bear in mind it's the same preset. This one's at like minus 18 dB. So it's significantly lower. And then I think probably just this one, which is, if I recall correctly, a cymatics preset. Yeah, cymatics fake strings. It copied the MIDI over from the uh, chords above, changed it slightly so it moves in a different way. And added a couple of extra notes to it put the arpeggiator on and set it to chord trigger. So rather than having to go into the MIDI and like edit each individual chord to get it to the right pattern, you can just set that to trigger the chord every eighth. And so all of them layered together without all the extra bits. In fact, if I set it that out, it all stacks up to create that. So it's all like the sum of parts rather than one individual um, preset. As I said, like people tend to, you know, try with one or try add a load of noise or whatever and it just doesn't it just doesn't work. And for the mid layer, is, is that uh, I see it's playing individual notes. Is that the root note from the chords above or just the lowest down notes or uh, yeah, so it'll be the root notes. I tend to um, when I'm building up chords anyway, the lowest note tends to be the root. I don't tend to do inversions too much. If it wasn't the root note, I'd always make sure it at the very least follows the sub. And so if I do want to have maybe the third of the chord instead in the root, if that's in the sub, then I'll replicate that in the mids. So then at least the low end is kind of moving together. So it sounds like one cohesive sound. You can get away with like moving notes around in chords and stuff because they, they're kind of more top end. But anything in the low end sounds a bit odd when you're like kind of moving differently. In this case, yes, but not always. What was the beginning piano that you used? I love that. It was so gorgeous. Alicia's keys, I would imagine. I use it on everything but um, really low velocity on everything. I can't play keys at all. I just type it all in. Yeah, low-ish velocity. This is higher than I would normally use, actually. Sometimes you'll see stuff and it's like all the way down here. Uh, I used to go in and like adjust every note. But if you go into the groove, doesn't matter which one you use, set everything to zero and then turn the random up, then it will randomize the notes around when they come in. So it makes it feel more human. And you just adjust that value to whatever you need. Uh, as I said, I used to do it normally and then was uh, doing a tune with direct. And he was like, why don't you just do this? And that taught me like I was some kind of idiot and I didn't know. It. But it works and it saves so much time. Uh, and another thing I tend to do is just low pass them as well. Uh, the top end of pianos can sound a little bit cheesy sometimes. And then again, pro MV, just to take out the low mids. Because in Alicia's keys, like the low mids are a bit. Uh, and then again, tiny bit of compression and some reverb. And that's probably the same as like a couple of pianos that come in later on. Uh, oh, in fact, no, maybe not in this tune. But anytime I'm doing any sort of piano, it's pretty much exactly the same thing. So you mentioned that you don't play keys. So how do you personally melodically design the song? Is it just like click and drag and stretch? And yeah, pretty much. Whatnot? Like uh, I just drew it all in. Everything. Uh, there's a guitar part in here, which is recorded. He says that's because it's got a filter, which I recorded myself, but I've obviously like had to time stretch quite vigorously to get it in time. I used to play violin, so I was like classically trained musically, so I know where the chords should go and what they should do and all the rest of it. Like that makes sense to me. I just can't play keys. I'll usually 
sort of as soon as I've got my root notes in, I know how the chords will form around that. And that bit becomes more of like a, a science is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like it becomes more sort of strict. But everything else is sort of put a chord in. Does it sound good? Yes. Where should it go next? And doing all of that by ear. But also I think when you're writing anything like this, you sort of have go-to chords. Like I know that if this is an F, I know that the sixth chord sounds good. So start on a sixth chord because that'll make it feel more uplifting because it's a major chord. And then, okay, well, we've gone six and seven. So the logical place for me to then go is one and all the rest of it. So it's sort of a mixture of everything as to how I kind of compose these sort of stuff. What is it? It looks like you're stacking drums there. Um, do you then process, it looks like the snares stacked, I'm guessing, from the small bits of white. So do you process all of that together afterwards or leave it up to mastering? My general rule with mastering, potentially more so nowadays than it was when I did this, is that the better compressed you can get your mix, then, and the less work a mastering engineer has to do, the better. Especially if you're doing something that could be played out, it has to be loud, like you've got no option about it. And so making your mix as loud as possible without doing any master processing at all, then means that when it goes off to mastering or when you come to master it yourself, you haven't got to slam everything into a limiter and it's not sort of breaking up. Everything is processed separately uh, and there's like a snare bus here. But anytime I'm busting anything, there's some form of compression going on. So, for example, the snares here, there are three snares, and I don't usually compress individual samples because they're usually compressed anyway. They're then all kind of EQs, reverb when necessary, um, and then that runs into a soft clipper here. The soft clipping in the glue compressor is great. Like You can usually push it quite hard before it really breaks up, kind of slamming that to a point that it evens out. And then again on the bus for the whole drums, the full parallel preset um, and then neutron which probably has some form of something going on in it okay so it's just EQ uh, and then limiting here which isn't doing that much but it's sort of especially with drums because you get such short transients it helps to sort of control that a little bit and as I said like you know over on here on the sidechain bus as well there's another limiter like squashing everything at individual stages on the on your drum bus you had uh you had neutron can you explain to the viewers what neutron is and why it's important my general use for neutron is it's great as like um it's a multi-processing tool in the same way that like ozone or whatever is but it's great for finding resonances in your sound so this actually hasn't done too much but you can click the track assistant uh, button play your audio and it will analyze the audio, which I think Ozone does now as well, and will analyze the audio and then put process with one. I tend to turn off the like the exciter, it would have changed. You can see it's got various settings on here. I've turned all of that off. But the EQ, as I said, is great. If there's like a tiny frequency in your kick drum that's maybe jumping out too much or something in your, like a ring on your snare, it's a really good way of taming it, ducking it down a little bit. So that's all I use it for, but as I said, it's got all sorts of different bits in it, including two compressors. And it will also reorder all the processing for you, depending on what it thinks you want. So sometimes you'll have the compressor, the first compressor right at the start of the chain. Sometimes it will put it before the transient shaper or whatever and adjust as it feels like it needs to. And sometimes it won't turn the compressors on or whatever as well if it doesn't think it needs it. I believe it's in the second drop, but you, I, I believe you bring in another lead, like another, another high element. And I was wondering what that was because it's very beautiful. There we go. Okay. So this one's a virtual riot preset, I think. Yeah, it's essentially just a sine wave with an envelope on the pitch. So it adds like an attack to the sound. I'm kind of in the mindset that if there's a preset out there that does it, then there's no point doing it yourself. Like, 
it just saves so much time and it, it sounds great. So uh, especially when it's with someone like Virtual Right, because he's such a good producer. So yeah, it's literally just sine wave, envelope on the pitch, like reverb and delay basically. But yeah, as you said, like it's such a good sound preset. That, is, is there something modulating fine pitch as well, or is that...? Yeah, so there's this um, LFO that controls... The first one's also controlling. LFO 2, yeah, yeah, controlling the fine, so it adds like a vibrato to the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, again, multiband and just high-passing it. Not that it really needs it, I don't think. Oh, there's a little bit. Hey Daw Nation, hope you enjoyed episode 39.5 of Behind the Daw with Elliot Berger breaking down his song Believe. Uh, If you did enjoy it, please let me know. Put it in the comments. You can also like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Deezer, YouTube. It just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to. Also, make sure to check those links in the description for the Patreon, for artist suggestions, for private lessons, to enter to win the free consultation and to snag that free preset from Elliot Berger. Again, it sounds like this. And then finally, I would highly recommend that you check out the other episodes of Behind the Daw. The one that we had right before this is a social media consultation that we did with Webex. Go ahead and check that out. We talked about how to optimize your YouTube channel. Um, Also, check out the other episodes. We did a full Behind the Daw with Webex. I'd highly encourage you to check that out. And stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Daw, which we did with Henry Fong. So that's going to come out probably next week. I'll let you know. But thank you so much, Daw Nation. You have a fantastic day.